This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com with your hosts, Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup, Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson here with you this week. Because that's what we do. We, we come at you every week and we're talking Red Bulls, and it was a great week to be following the New York Red Bulls. The fastest three goals from the start of a game in league history. Three goals in 11 minutes in the first half. New York absolutely stomps on the New England Revolution, winning going away 4-1. to one. Tonight on Seeing Red, Dan and I will go inside the New England victory. We will preview New York's first ever match and first ever visit at Orlando City SC. It's nice to have some SCs in a league full of FCs. To get you ready for that, we're going to talk to Paul Tenorio, who's the Orlando City beat writer for the Orlando Sentinel. And then we'll take some uh, emails and maybe a voicemail or two, and we'll give away some prizes. We're going to talk Gold Cup. We're going to talk about all-star game selections. And uh, we're also going to talk about a very interesting day on Capitol Hill with U.S. Soccer. Dan, how are you, sir? I'm doing all right, Mark. You were there Saturday night? I was, I was. How talk to me? I, I sadly was not. I was watching from afar. Uh, I would imagine that the atmosphere was phenomenal as New York, from the opening whistle, just puts the hammer down and beats New England to death. It, it was kind of an interesting start because uh, what struck me as the game was getting underway was you had all these traveling res fans who were, as usual, loud. Seven hundred of them, I understand. Something like that. It was a big group, and they were chanting, "This is our house," and. Yeah, that, that's an odd chant for a team that, outside of that playoff game last year, had not won at Red Bull Arena since 2007, I think it was, yeah. something like that. Yeah. But, you know, okay, so, so you're chanting that. And I remember thinking in the first three or four minutes that, you know, it was mostly down in New England's end, and it was, you know, it looked like it was going to be a, a tough game. And then that first goal comes, and it's like, okay, nice hot start. And then that, that beautiful second team goal with all... Oh nice my goodness! Passing comes together just a couple of minutes later. It's like, oh, this is really good. And then uh, I, the, on the third goal, and, and if you haven't gone back and watched the the highlights in this, go back and watch the third goal because Sasha basically gets the entire field to pick out Dax with a slow rolling pass, who then just you know quickly dinks it behind for a one time through ball onto Bradley's foot, and it's it's three nothing. And the Reds fans were totally. <laughs> Silenced and shamed after claiming it was their house, and the home fans were, you know, justifiably hysterical. There, there's no denying that that kind of a match, that kind of a start, is obviously terrific for the Red Bulls. It definitely takes some of the tension away from the match. And uh, as someone that has made that ride home from Foxborough, uh, especially after the playoff loss, it's a, it's a, it's not it's not a short ride. Nope. It's it's a long it's a long ride. And um, it's a long ride home when, you, when you, your team completely forgets to play defense and gets bewildered by the Red Bulls. That second goal uh, may be the most attractive goal I've seen this team put together this season. Uh, I think it was five different players touched the ball in about ten seconds uh, for the back of the net. And the finish was great, but the whole unlocking of the New England defense was uh, a sight to be seen. Obviously, everybody wants to post a shutout. Uh, Andy Dorman with, uh, you know, the, de- the defense kind of goes to sleep. And then we have Anthony Wallace getting his first goal as a Red Bull. 
on a very nice deflection, and then Salazizo could have made it a high five twice, uh, but was denied. So uh, that was, again, the fastest three goals to start a game in MLS history in 20 years. For, with two goals and an assist, Bradley Wright Phillips somehow does not get named to the MLS Best 11. Although, no, no. Uh, Team of the Week, Team of the Week rather, but no. although uh, Sam and Miazga both were, correct? Yes, they were. So, your thoughts on that snub? Uh, I mean, in fairness... Um, there were some great performances. There were a lot of good performances this weekend, uh, particularly Giovinco's. So, it's a little silly, but um, you know, it, it's Team of the Week. If, if there's a bonus in the paycheck, it's not very much. Yeah, okay. All right. So, New York, uh, with their fourth win overall in their last five matches and their third win overall in their last four league matches, this is the second time this season that the team has won three of four. The first time was uh, in March and April as they jumped out to their undefeated start. Um, So... A week off, a wonderful thing. And now another entire week off against uh, a team in Orlando. But before that, let's give our bull and cow of the week. You're a bull, sir. Um, you know, you, you just got done talking about snubbing Bradley, so now I'm going to feel very silly to give it to Lloyd Sam, if only because and yes. yeah, I, I always like to focus on, on the little smart plays that people do. And granted, the you know, Lloyd got fined by the league today for a little embellishment and, uh, and getting tangled up with Juan Agadello. But um, on that second goal, you know, there, there's all this nice team passing. And I think he actually starts the move. But and then he runs forward, catches himself as offside. And just as Gorella is getting the ball, he steps back just enough. And you can watch it on the replay because they've got the right angle for it. Just enough to get him back onside. And then the ball comes. And it, it's... It's that sort of smart position. I've seen this team. I think the team is actually leading or close to the lead for offside calls this year in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, so smart play. I'm going to give it to Lloyd Sam. Fair enough. Uh, Bradley gets my vote again. I don't want to say use the three words, but when you do a performance like that, I don't care if you have to put four forwards on the team of the week. You do it. You do it. So Lloyd, uh, I'm sorry, Bradley was his old self. Uh, picks up uh, goals number seven and eight on the season, shows just how important he is to the team, and he's here to score goals, and that's what he did. And when he wasn't scoring, you sent him up. So, uh, BWP, you're my bull. And your cow, sir? Uh, I'm going to give it to Salzizo for missing the penalty. I've seen so many penalties missed in the last two weeks, I'm starting to not think there's giveaway goals. <laughs> so um, I, I can't deal with people not converting penalties. Uh, have they announced save of the week yet? Uh, not yet. That'll be Friday. Tomorrow? Friday, normally. Friday? Okay, because I know that Shuttleworth is up for save of the week. And when you, when you put, when you give up four goals, you really should be exempt, frankly, from being nominated for save. Probably, of the week. but it was a nice double save at the end. It was a nice double save, yes. Sal, uh, sorry, Sal. Uh, the high five would have been great. Uh, a moo to you. 
New York has now scored lots of goals in a very short amount of time. They've scored 12 goals in their last four games, including the Cosmos Cup win. The four goals against New England was the high watermark for the season, which had been set uh, at New York City with the three goals just two league uh, matches earlier. So New York is clicking on offense. They are doing very well, and now... They will be facing a team for the very first time, and that's Orlando City. Um, Orlando City is right behind the Red Bulls in the standings. They are 6, 7, and 6 for 24 points to the Red Bulls' 26. They are above the line, raising eyebrows. Uh, They have a minus 1 goal differential and only a plus 1 home goal differential. Of course, this team plays in the Orange Bowl where they are averaging 30,000 fans a game, second only to the Seattle Sounders. The interesting thing, among the interesting things about uh, Orlando City, not just that they wear purple, they're actually playing a friendly tonight. They are playing West Bromwich Albion this very evening, Wednesday night, and among the starters for this match, and I can't imagine they're going to go too, too far, are obviously Degau's brother. Mm. You might have heard of him. They're Talisman Kaká. Carlos Rivas, who usually starts... Uh, Amobi Akugo, who has started for this team, Aurelian Collins, center back, um, Donovan Ricketts, one-time starter on this team, who has now given that role up to former Houston keeper Tally Hall. So there are, you could certainly argue this will be a, a little bit more than a runaround, but nevertheless, um, you know the key players obviously Kaká, nine goals and two assists, Kyle Laren, who will be returning home. Head in hands after his atrocious miss in the Gold Cup, and then having the uh, ignominy to have his team not score a single goal in three Gold Cup matches. You got to score a goal. Even Cuba has scored a goal, folks. They've scored a goal, and they're in injury time. And if they hold on in the Gold Cup, they will play the U.S. in the quarterfinals. Way to go, Cuba. Nevertheless, Kyle Laren, six goals uh, for Orlando City. Pedro Ribeiro, who does play up top and has played up top for this team, two goals and two assists. Eric Avila, goal and assist. Uh, New York's old friend Aurelian Collin, stalwart and in the center back with a goal and an assist. And Darwin Serin, who looks like he will also be heading home because he is uh, the El Salvador national team captain. And in the next two minutes as we record, we will figure out whether El Salvador will be also eliminated from the Gold Cup. Central American teams not getting the job done in the Gold Cup. So um, they, again, six uh, six wins rather and six draws in their first season. Definitely showing well. They've won three times in their last six matches, the biggest of which was a one nothing win over D.C. United. Um, they also uh, have only won once in their last three. They drew 1-1 versus RSL in a match where Kaká was red-carded for the first time in his career, MLS refs, and then Saturday they lost uh, to Dallas to nothing, and that was obviously without Kaká. So New York, it, it's hard to say exactly what what they're gonna 
Well, what's going to show? It's the first time playing this team. Um, they have shown flashes of playing well. They are starting to score goals. Kaká, as you'll hear from Paul Tenorio during our interview, obviously the most important uh, cog in the Orlando machine. Can you have a machine in your first year? I'm not sure. But if Kaká is able to be haha slowed down, then New York has a great chance of winning. So curious as to your thoughts. Well, I mean, they definitely have a lot of talent. Um, and they've done a good job assembling a roster that, that is able to get results. So this is a team that's beaten D.C. United, even though they took two losses from them earlier in the year. Um, this is a team that thrashed the defending champion, L.A. Galaxy. I think it was four or five nothing. Four, four, nothing, four nothing, but that was... Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, so they, they can get results, and they also do struggle. They uh, lost to Montreal a couple weeks ago. Not that Montreal is necessarily worst in the league at this point, but, you know, the... They're not consistent, and so that's both good and bad. They they could have an off night. They could get ripped to shreds by the Red Bulls, um, or they could come out swinging and, and look like world beaters. So we don't really know what we're going to see. Um, both teams sound like they play similar systems from what Paul told us. Um, so it, it, it should be entertaining. It will be good for Kaká to finally be on the field when the Red Bulls are playing. Um, at least let the gal work, you know, paid off somehow. <laughs> But, you know, it, it should be a fun match, and, and that's all you can hope for. That L.A. team that lost 4-0 uh, to Orlando, uh, no uh, Robbie Keane, no Gonzalez, no, really no just about anyone on that team at that time. So, uh, yes, that, that obviously is a signature win, but uh, L.A. was not really in it. Is it a final yet in uh, in Charlotte? Let's People see. Yes, it showing. certainly is. The Cuban national team is moving on, and they will play the United States in the quarterfinals of the Gold Cup. The United States has an all-Caribbean path to the final. Not only will they play Cuba in the quarterfinals in Baltimore, but they will meet the winner of Haiti and Jamaica in the semifinals in Atlanta should they get by the Cuban national team. So, uh, well, that's just tremendous. Good for Cuba. That's great. That's a great story. So, um, did you hear that the all... Oh, so, Ed, do you have a prediction for, for uh, Saturday night? Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Orlando pulls it together. and call, Pulls it together and beats yes, New York. and call it a 2-1 win for Orlando. Mm. I think uh, New York's goal-scoring uh, mojo continues in the hot, hot heat in Orlando. Uh, I'm going to call it a 2-2 draw. I think New York gets a, a key point on the, rin, uh, on the road. New York, after picking up five draws in their first uh, 11 games, hasn't had a, a draw since May 15th. So I think it's, uh, it might be time to add to there. Of course, um, New York will take on the Philadelphia Union Tuesday night in the U.S. Open Cup. I don't want to say Tuesday night. It's really Tuesday afternoon in the U.S. Open Cup. And so they will, they, they will be obviously focused uh, on Orlando, and we'll, we'll have uh, an eye looking forward. The first 11, the fan 11 of the MLS All-Stars were announced. Um, and I, I don't want to say there were too many surprises. You know, we, we certainly thought that David Villa would be named. We certainly thought that Kaká would be named, and he, as he would. No Red Bulls were picked. Dempsey and Obafemi Martins, yes, certainly, certainly would be picked. Nick Ramondo, a keeper, no argument there. But it was those two other picks that um, that I think caused a lot of 
frustration and bewilderment, and that is that Stephen Gerrard and Frank Lampard, who have yet to play a single minute in MLS, have been named the two commissioner's picks for this match over players like Giovinco from Toronto, who will obviously be added to the reserve squad for this match. Well, so, but, so let's be clear on what the fan 11 is versus the commissioner's picks, because yes. that will make you angrier. So yes. the fan 11 is a list of 11 players that fans are allowed to vote on after the media vote to narrow it down to eight players for each team, right? Okay. So we media get ballots with every player on it. We pick eight for each team, and then there's a ballot that the fans get, and the fans vote on them, and that list means nothing. The Fan 11 is a suggestion to the coach of the All-Star team, uh, uh-huh. happens to be Pablo Mastroni this year, of players that the fans would like to see. And he can take it or he can leave it. The commissioner's picks are two players named by Donald Garber who mm-hmm. are on the roster. So the only two players that are actually on the all-star roster at the current time yes are Gerard and Lampard now who have yet to play in right now chances are Pablo will pick all 11 of the fan 11 plus the whoever scored the most goals in FIFA which I believe was Obafemi Martins mm-hmm. um, you know very democratic way of deciding who to get named <laughs> and then he will pick whoever else he feels like for the roster that mm. will probably end up including a Colorado player needlessly because it is a, you know at their stadium, but you got to pander to the home fans a little bit. Um, and, it, you know, it could be anybody. So Giovinco will undoubtedly get named in there because I don't think right. Pablo is a fool. But, um, you know, there, there's a whole separate inactive roster, which dates back to the days where it was East versus West, and the players right. didn't want to lose the bonus because getting named to the All-Star team gets you a, a bonus. bonus. That's and right. so there's a whole roster of players who won't get caught, you know, don't get to play in the game at all, but do get the bonus, which is kind of nice. So we'll see what happens there. Now, the, the fascinating thing about the Gerard and Lampard thing is, you know, the, that news came out on Monday night during the Gold Cup game, right before the Gold Cup game, I think it was. Yes. And yes. obviously people freaked went out. out, went all out on Twitter, including people a number of, of media members. And bizarrely, MLS Communications had a, a, a canned email ready to send to anybody they saw explaining why Lampard and Gerard were selected. Now, I didn't receive you... one of these, but many people okay. I know did. And so I'm going to read the reasons. Regarding Gerard and Lampard, they were selected for the following key reasons. Frank Lampard and Steven Gerard are two Premier League veterans who have extensive experience playing against Tottenham. They are world-class players who would make any team better. They will certainly add global appeal to the game, as will Kakavia, etc. And most importantly, Lampard has played in two All-Star games with Chelsea in 2006 and 2012, when he scored a goal. The remaining All-Star players will be selected July 18th by Pablo Mastroni. So, apparently, if you've played in the Premier League, and you appeared in a previous All-Star game, you are, you are a good pick for the All-Star team. And, and that's why I went over the edge about this, because... We get it. It's an exhibition. It's there for the ratings and drawing interest. It's not a serious game. It's fine. But there are a lot of players who would love that bonus, who would love the recognition. Kai Kamara is another one to name. Kai has never once been on a game day roster for the All-Stars. He's been named inactive at least once that I could find. But he he has never actually played in an All-Star game. Guy's spent a lot of time in the league. He's been remarkably good for Columbus this year. 
he's come back to the league after time yeah. away. And and for him to not get named after putting in that performance in favor of Lampard and Gerard is just it's so astonishing. And uh, kudos to the players for giving Garber some shtick on Twitter for it because it was just and it, over the top. And then today, and, and forgive me if you mentioned this, he announced that, that they're adding basically two slots, two bonus slots to the roster to make up for the, the idea that he's chosen these two guys that have yet to play a league. So there won't be lost bonus slots to Gerard and Lampard, oh. which is a payon, I guess, to the, to the players nonetheless. So no Red Bulls have been selected for the All-Star game. I personally think that would be fine. I would be very happy to have the All-Star game come and go without any Red Bulls taking part, although it would be a lovely honor. Obviously, Bradley Wright Phillips had a laser last year against uh, Bayern Munich, who had a great pass from Kubo Torres. Uh, I mean, like a highlight reel goal. It was fantastic. A career goal. It was fantastic to watch. I I will say, I won't be surprised if no Red Bulls get named to the All-Star game team, because... You know, they may not play. They, they might not play, and and honestly, you know, competition is is pretty stiff this year for fan nonsense like that. But um, I'm willing to bet that young Matt Miazga or maybe even young Sean Davis uh, might get named to the Chipotle homegrown game, which happens the same week. Um, which is you know a nice opportunity to get out there and and show the talent that the league's developing. I believe he got named last year, right? He did last year, and he was, let's just say, I think we can all agree that Miazga's come along a whole lot since that game Mm -hmm. because he was uh, a little rough. He was a late add to that game. Remember, because Connor Laid had been named originally, and he had just been loaned out to Cosmos? Uh, Remember? And so they're like, oh, Matt, can you go out? Can Can you go do it? Yeah, yeah, he was like, yeah, okay, I'll go. But uh, I'd rather see Davis than um, than Miazga take part. Uh, uh, we'll see. I mean, it may well be both, but who knows? Quickly, uh, a few more points before we get uh, on to our interview. The U16 team is in the national semifinals. Way to go, guys. Keep it up. Two wins, two national titles. The U13, Red Bull U13 team, won the national title. Fantastic job to everybody involved. Um, And then today, lastly, was the first, as we've learned, hearing on Capitol Hill at the Senate from Dan Flynn of U.S. Soccer. This, This was theater, and this was comedy, folks. It was Dan Flynn of U.S. Soccer. A gentleman uh, who honestly came, I, I imagine, from the sports business world. Uh, I don't know if he was an Olympic guy. I, I, I missed his introduction. A gentleman from Amnesty International that was discussing the plight of workers in uh, Qatar. And then, and then, Andrew Jennings, who is the outrageous, loquacious, fantastic British journalist who held court talking about the rampant corruption throughout FIFA and CONCACAF that he has covered for decades. Um, And so these four guys basically (laughs) took questions from a number of senators, and their questions revolved around these topics. And we don't don't want to stray too far from the Red Bulls, folks, but this was really fascinating. I just want to bring it up. The first point that the senators were making was, and I'm curious, Dan, about your hot take on this, that U.S. soccer, it, if they were aware of the corruption going on in FIFA and CONCACAF, and certainly by all accounts they were aware of it, they should have stood up and 
blown the whistle and attempted to shine a light for the world to see about the corruption going on in FIFA and CONCACAF. That was their point one. What, what do you think, Dan? What do you think about the realistic uh, chance that that would have happened? Can I recycle my joke from Twitter? Yes. Go up to your local congressman and ask them why they haven't fixed Washington single-handedly. Mm. FIFA is a giant organization, and the U.S. has the same stature as everyone else until, as uh, Dan Flynn mentioned, they got Sunil Gulati on the executive committee in 2013. But that's still not a ton of power. This is not you know, the UN or NATO or any of these you know, international bodies where the U.S. can come in swinging hard and get everything in order. They, they don't have the power. And it, I mean, I fully agree that whatever corruption they knew about, particularly within CONCACAF and particularly as Andrew Jennings kept hammering home about relating to Chuck Blazer, uh, you know, that, that they have to answer for. And the fact that Sunil Gawadi decided to not show up. That was not. No, it's a very bad look. And I get that as the president, you know, he doesn't get a paycheck and whatever else, you know, he has other things in his life that he may be doing, but um, it it really did not give a good impression. Um, When Congress calls, you go. Yeah, but the, the questioning after they got through the corruption stuff, of course, drifted over to inequality of pay with the women and why was the why were the women playing on turf and why do you know the the professional league the nwsl pay less than mls and it it's frustrating because i get the desire to ask these questions um but taking it out on u.s soccer when the u.s soccer has nothing the the prize money comes from fifa and u.s soccer passes it through um the turf decision was fifa it, it right. was held in Canada. I don't recall right. USSF being in charge of Canada, um, and and so on. It's just and and in fairness, I wish that U.S. Soccer would have answered the questions a little bit better and said, "Do you understand that this isn't us? You know, we're right. going to do as many right things as we can, but there are some things that still need to be pressing us about." But anyhow, it's Congress. One. Of- it's Congress. One of the things that was said, though, uh, and I urge you, if you if you have the time, to go find it on uh, on YouTube because it's or or C-SPAN. It's fascinating, and if only just to listen to Andrew Jennings, who sat three seats down from Dan Flynn and basically excoriated him for the entire two two hours and uh, blamed U.S. Soccer for doing almost nothing while CONCACAF and uh, FIFA were ripe with corruption. It was really, really interesting. And also, uh, when pressed by the senators, Andrew Jennings was like, I thought you were a big, important country. I thought you were a major player in the world. If you want to do something, don't you guys just do it? I'm surprised you're being so timid here. So that was really Mm -hmm. interesting to me. And there's a lot going on. The soccer world's incredibly busy, games all over the place. Uh, The Red Bulls will be in Orlando on Saturday night, taking on Orlando City SC. And after the break, we're going to speak to Paul Tenorio of the Orlando Sentinel all about the team. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. 
We're back on Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson, ahead of New York's first ever trip to Orlando for an MLS match. And tonight, in uh, in the spirit of knowing your opponent, we have brought in an Orlando City expert that's in the Orlando City press box as we speak. That's Paul Tenorio, the soccer writer for the Orlando Sentinel. How are you tonight, Paul? I'm doing all right for uh, what should be a riveting friendly against West Brom. Orlando City <laughs> starting... Uh, Five players under the age of 21 against an EPL team that is 12 days into preseason. So, so, so we're not expecting beauty tonight, is what you're saying? Um, no, I don't think so. <laughs> All right. Well, let's start here. Uh, obviously, we've seen the video. The the town seems to have really taken to and adopted this team. Talk to us a little bit about how off the field the team has been received, and then maybe a little bit general thoughts about this, the uh, the performance of the team as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I think the reaction to an MLS team coming to Orlando and then uh, the arrival of the team this year has been phenomenal. I mean, honestly, for anybody who has followed the league over its history, um, I don't know that there's been something that you can equate this to um, just in the immediacy of how quickly it was embraced, just wholly in the city, and also, you know, not just in the stadium. I mean, if you come to Orlando and you walk through downtown, I mean, there are banners all through downtown on the streetlights. Um, I would say one in every two to three cars that you pass on the road will have an Orlando City sticker on its bumper. Um, it's quite amazing how much this city has embraced this team. And I, I don't think that right now you can make an argument that there's any other team that would rank as the top team in this city. I think as it stands, they are the more popular team, even than the Orlando magic or, um, you know, any of the college football teams. Um, so that, that in itself has been just kind of really, really fun to, to kind of be around for me. And, and I think it's been impressive in the stands as well. And, and I think the team, you know, has done done fairly well. You know, I, I expected them to have a slower start, which they did. I think any time any expansion team is going to have those struggles, you're bringing together 30 guys into a roster who um, don't know each other, that they need time to gel, they need time to understand the system. Especially with Orlando City, they brought in a lot of international players. I think those players also have that adjustment period of getting used to the U.S., um, we've seen that with some of the younger players, some who have come through and played really well recently. Christian Aguita is one, um, and some who have taken a little bit more time and we haven't seen anything from yet, like Brian Rochez. So um, it, it's been a little bit of everything here so far, but, you know, they're in pretty solid position right now in the East. And, you know, I think um, there's a long way to go, but I think they've put themselves in a good position to challenge for a playoff spot in year one. Now, Paul, for uh, Red Bulls fans who haven't necessarily watched Orlando play much outside of maybe the, the opener, what sort of formation and tactics is Adrian Heath using currently? Sure, yeah. His system is, is a 4-2-3-1. Um, that's what he's played through all of their USL days. Um, that's what he'll always play here. He doesn't. He's not a big fan of the 4-4-2. Um, he really likes to have numbers in midfield. He tries to create overloads, um, three players where you have two, and and it's a very open attacking style. You know, the, the wingers in the 4-2-3-1 aren't traditional wingers. He doesn't play them high and wide. He actually likes them to pinch in um, and, and allow lanes on the outside for the outside backs to get forward um, and cause overloads in that way. And then, uh, of course, obviously, you've got Kaká running the show in the number 10. So um, that's the system they, they employ. The key there is, is I think, 
the most important things to have are two defensive midfielders who can cover a lot of ground and not lose the ball. And they've gotten that recently in Darwin Saren, the El Salvador international, and Aguita, who they signed from Deportivo Cali. And, and then outside backs who can get forward and, and attack. And Rafa Ramos, who they signed from Benfica last year, has been maybe the, the most pleasant surprise of the season. Um, in my mind, one of the better right backs in the league. And, and left back's been a little bit tougher. They had Breck Shea there early. Kevin Molino's injury forced Breck to move up to left wing. Uh, Luke Bowden's been playing there. And then obviously last night they traded for Corey Ash, who I think is a perfect fit mm-hmm. for that system. Paul, now we all know about Degao's brother and the power that Kaká brings uh, to Orlando City. He, he's definitely been the finisher, though. He's a little bit less of an assist man than I think some folks would have thought playing in the number 10 spot. Yeah, I mean, if done what they need of him you know they early in the year the big issue was Orlando City wasn't getting goals and um, you know it takes time I think for some of these strikers they, they were hoping to start the year with a veteran striker Martin Patterson who's scored goals in the English championship they felt he was going to be the guy that would give them time to allow the two 20 uh, year olds Brian Rochez and Kyle Laren to develop up and understand what it takes at this pro level and Ed Patterson went out with a torn hamstring in preseason, and all of a sudden you're, you're putting those two guys into, into that position right away. So I think over time, Kaká's kind of realized, okay, I need to play high up the field. I need to try to score some goals. And uh, they had a pretty darn good run of play where I think they, they lost once to nine games. And in that stretch of nine games, Kaká scored seven times. And, you know, that's what they need out of him. Right now they need him to be scoring goals. Um, the assists, he only has two, but I think that really doesn't tell the story of how much he's helped to set up goals. He's usually, you know, either that pass right before the assist or, or two passes before, or it's a run he's making that opens the space. He's been very, very, very involved in almost every single goal Orlando City has scored this season. And, you know, that's what you'd expect of a player of his stature. And I think that's what he's provided since probably um, – the D.C. United game back in May, I think it was kind of a, a wake-up call for him, and he's been fantastic ever since. The other big goal scorer, of course, is Kyle Lahren, who is coming back from the Gold Cup after a bit of a disaster for Canada. Do you think he'll feature this weekend, or might he get some rest? Um, you know, I don't know. I think he's kind of the, the most questionable one. Um, they really like Pedro Rivero up top. He works his tail off. He, he creates dangerous opportunities. He has a good connection with Kaká. I wouldn't be surprised if they decided to start Ribeiro um, and bring Kyle off the bench just because he's played three games in six days or whatever it was at the Gold Cup. Um, but, I, you know, he could end up starting. I, I would my, my gut says that Ribeiro will get the starting nod. I do think that uh, if El Salvador was eliminated tonight, and I don't know what the score of the Guatemala game is right now um, or, what, or what the final was, but uh, he will feature in the starting lineup as long as he's back. So they, they definitely were uh, quietly rooting for those two teams to go out in the group stage because, you know, Darwin especially, I think, has been the MVP through the first half of the season. He's just he's just so, so good at what he does in that kind of – it's kind of a hybrid number six, number eight spot. And, and when he's in there, they, they function a lot better, and Kaká has a lot more freedom to roam. So I think you will see Darwin Sarin in the starting lineup. I think Kyle Laring could be a guy who comes off the bench. Paul, talk to us about Rachel Benetta videos notwithstanding. 
what the atmosphere is truly like at the Citrus Bowl. We know that they're averaging a very, very healthy number. We know that the supporters are loud, and they've been at this on the USL level for some time. But talk to us a little bit about what kind of uh, an atmosphere that the Red Bulls are going to be walking into. Yeah, it's loud. It's boisterous. Um, I think the thing about Orlando City fans that I appreciate maybe more than some other venues is, is actually something that Adrian Heath pointed out to me when he was talking about the difference between uh, playing in England and playing in Portland. And, and that's the idea that, you know, in Portland, those fans are amazing. They sing the whole game. They have all these original songs, which I think are awesome. Um, but, you know, they sing the whole game, whether their team's losing 2 nothing or winning 3 nothing. Um, you know, one thing Adrian Heath says, he can walk into any stadium in, in England and tell you immediately if the home team is winning or losing or by how much based on how the fans are reacting to the team's mm. play. And I think uh, that's one thing these Orlando City fans don't lack. They're not afraid to uh, to whistle and jeer their own team if they're not playing well. They're, they're obviously not afraid to be singing and chanting when they are, um, and they certainly will get in on the opponent as well. So, you know, I, I think it's a pretty darn good atmosphere. Um, I think that the, you know, the wall, as they call it, the two supporters groups behind one of the goals uh, do a great job of kind of setting the tone. And, and I think the rest of the fans who, you know, fill out that the rest of the 35,000 that they're averaging ha- have started to get a, a better understanding of, of how to approach a soccer game. And you'll you'll hear the whole stadium break into chance here and there. And it's been pretty fun to uh, to watch. I'm excited to see it in the new stadium where you're a little bit more on top of the field as far as vertically. Um, and, and hopefully they have open-air press boxes because up here in the Citrus Bowl they got these soundproof windows that really maybe uh, don't allow me to truly experience the atmosphere that I've been here uh, so far this season. Those, those windows can be rough. Um, speaking of the new stadium, what's the latest on that? I know that you know there, were, there was a lot of talk over the last year, and admittedly there's so many stadium things going on. I don't know that I've heard the latest. So where, where does that stand? Yeah, well, they, they decided to privately fund the entire stadium, which was a huge decision from the ownership. Um, and so basically the, what prompted that in part was the fact that originally they had planned for a 20,000 seat stadium. And obviously when you're averaging over 30,000 a game consistently, uh, the decision was we need a bigger stadium. And they were waiting for some funding to come through the state government. And that got held up in kind of a political game that was being played around some health care funding. And they really weren't sure when that money was going to get released. And, and then when you start looking, OK, well, we're going to need to expand the stadium. You're going to need even more money. And how long is it going to take us to get that? So they decided to step up and say, you know what, we're going to privately fund the whole thing. They bought the land back from the city. Um, they, they repaid the city for the work that had already been done on the site. And um, what that did do was set things back a little bit. They had to go back and start redoing the plans for a, a 30,000. I think it's going to be a 28,000 seat stadium now. Um, and I, last week, Flavio Augusto da Silva, the owner was here in the press box to speak to reporters and said he felt they were about a week, maybe two weeks away from revealing the new plans for the stadium. So, um, once those plans are finalized and revealed, I think we'll start to see, uh, the site, which right now looks like a big patch of dirt. They've done a lot of work there. They raised a couple buildings. They filled in a retention pond. Uh, I think we'll finally start to see some steel, put it into the ground and, and, you know, the structure of the stadium start to go up and uh, they're hopeful to open at some point during next year. I would imagine it would probably come around now. I, I don't expect them to get it done any faster than a year's time. So I would imagine somewhere around mid season, they open the stadium. Paul, you've been great. Before we let you go, we just want to, uh, we just want to ask 
obviously Orlando was MLS's first foray into the Southeast. Your nearest teams, I guess, are D.C. and Houston, and of course Atlanta is coming online soon. Is there a natural rivalry for you before Atlanta gets there as kind of uh, the big team that Orlando is looking forward to playing the most? You know, it's weird. It kind of happens naturally. Um, there, there's kind of been some angst that, that's grown out between Orlando City and Columbus, weirdly. Um, the <laughs> first two games that they played both had red cards. Um, the, the fans were chirping back and forth at each other after both games, before the second game. Then they played in the Open Cup, and, and it was still a little bit heated. So that's been one that's kind of started to happen weirdly on the field between two teams that have no relation to each other and should have no reason <laughs> to be rivals. But I would say the other one right now is Sporting Kansas City. Um, they used to have a relationship. They were the USL affiliate. Obviously, Dom Dwyer came down, scored a ton of right. goals for Orlando, became a huge fan favorite, really fell in love with the town, all that. Um, and so they felt Sporting Kansas City you know, wasn't as helpful in the last year of the partnership, knowing Orlando City was coming up. And, and then, obviously, Adrian Heath's comments about Dom Dwyer and Peter Vermees saying stuff, and it went back and forth. It's going to be really, really interesting when Sporting Kansas City comes to town in September. I think that's the other one where there's some really, you know, that there, there's going to be people watching the handshake between coaches. There's going to be no doubt the fans unveiling some kind of TIFO for Dom Dwyer, which I'm sure will only add to the to the uh, back and forth between the fan fan groups. So those would be the two I'd, I'd point out early on. But, yes, they are hopeful for Atlanta and Miami because those would be the natural Southeast rivals. You have a prediction for Saturday night? Prediction for Saturday night. That's a tough one. Um, you know, they've been banged up. They've been hurt. They're getting guys back. I, you know, I would say, you know, 2-2 two, two draw maybe. I know that's kind of <laughs> taking the easy way out, not saying a win <laughs> either way. But, um, no, I think it'll be cool. I mean, Dax, Dax McCarty coming home, mm-hmm. playing in front of his home crowd for the first time. I think he's going to be fired up. I was talking to his dad about it last week. They've got a bunch of tickets for the game and they're doing a big tailgate. So I know Dax will be fired up and, you know, Kaka coming off the red card. I think he's going to want to have a big impact as well. So I'll say two, two, and hopefully it's an entertaining wide open game. You can read Paul Tenorio most about just about every day at the Orlando Sentinel.com. Paul, we really appreciate you joining us. Enjoy the massive friendly tonight (laughs) and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for having me on. And uh, yeah, looking forward to hopefully chatting again in the future. Your emails after this at seeingred at backheel.com. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Back to Seeing Red, New York Soccer Roundup. Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson. Sorry we had such a, a far-ranging conversation in, in our first segment. Just a lot of really interesting summer of soccer issues going on. Got Gold Cup, got all this going on. And we have your emails. If you write us at seeingredny at gmail.com, we give away prizes. We do. It's true. We got three prizes, three emails, rather. One will win a uh, four field passes to watch warm-ups before the game and four tickets to an upcoming game. Here's Chris from the Bain, North Carolina. We've got listeners all over the place. Masters of the Microphone. Popes of the podcast, an impassioned plea and a quick question. I've been a supporter of the club since day one, but before MLS came to be, my first love was Cardiff City. Not Swansea. Six weeks. Six (laughs) weeks in a row. So you can imagine the the cringing that's taken place in the last few episodes when Cardiff's six-toed cousins have been mentioned. Please cease and desist any mentioning of said club, all Swans reporters. I remember to bow down to the capital city of Wales and their football club. 
So that I've taken care of that. I'm curious to hear what you think of something uh, I've been thinking about lately. With more and more aging Euro legends joining the league, Gerard Lampard and Pirlo, I've been wondering what kind of DP I'd like to see join the Red Bulls. With the players mentioned above, although undoubtedly masters of their craft, some have serious tired legs. Our league is fast and physical, and I question how well our game suits a player like Pirlo or Gerard. Henri still had a bit of the quickness. When he came to MLS, Giovinco is probably in the same boat as far as possessing a decent turn of pace, I'd say. Both of these players have proven to be MLS successes with the Knights of Juninho have struggled with the pace and players in the league and the ability to hit the net. That being said, I'd rather see a player uh, oh, uh, like Giovinco play for our club rather than a big name like Pirlo or Gerard who's lost a good deal of speed. What do you take? Does speed matter when signing a DP? Thanks for making my commute a little easier. Keep up the good work, Chris. Speed? I, I think it absolutely matters. I think you want a DP who's not going to have to lumber around the pitch and worry about injuries and all those sorts of things that this club may be a little bit too familiar with. Well, I think also when you consider the high press that we mm-hmm. play, anyone that's going to come in is going to have to uh, be a speed. You're going to so. have to be able to, to put in the miles, certainly. And yep. I think I'm going to be curious to see what happens with Pirlo and Lampard uh, up in the Bronx because they're definitely, you know, they're, they don't have the legs anymore and perhaps they can get away with that at Yankee Stadium, but it's going to be interesting to see elsewhere. Um, yeah, well, it's all it's all new at Yankee Stadium, so what that's true. Well, I, and as as far as the first part of that letter, I hope you enjoy the championship. Here's email number two from Jeff Goldstein, who writes, "Hey, Mark and Dan, I just want to address the attendance at Red Bull Arena. There's been some talk about the average attendance this year is higher than last." If the May Blue Team Derby removed, this attendance bump vanishes, and there's virtually no increase in the announced attendance from last year. It's an increase of only 3%, or 0.32%, excuse me. 58 people through the first nine games. Uh, While it's somewhat unfair to remove the sellout against our crosstown rival, it's important to view the attendance bump in the right context. Having said that, Let's get to the past weekend. It was a beautiful summer night in a stunning soccer-specific stadium. The team has been on a roll, and they will have already defeated both local area teams. It's an absolute shame they can't do better than 18,640 on a summer Saturday night. I know that attendance will increase as the season goes on, but the issue still bugs me. I don't think that high-priced DPs alone are the answer, as has been tried before with minimal long-term success. Is the issue as simple as people don't want to travel to Harrison? Is it that people don't want to support a team named for its owner? Or could it be that the team barely promotes itself in an already crowded New York market? Let me know what you think. Thanks for the time and great work. I think it's a little of all three of those things. I think it's also that every match this team plays is televised. Um, I think it's a beautiful summer Saturday and people are coming back from the beach. I um, I think there are people that are still angry at this team. Anything else? Anything else you want to throw on the I fire? I think we covered it all. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. They, they should, uh, that is not a good enough crowd on a Saturday night, and I, I said so as much on social media. They've, they've got to do better. There are not that many Saturday night matches this season. In fact, in fact, let's see. One, two, three. That's how many Saturday night matches there are this season. Three. So there you go. The next time the Red Bulls play at home, they will be playing Man City Light, and so that all but guarantees another sellout. Then they have two home matches in the next uh, six days apart. They play Sunday, August 9th, the next league home game against New York City, and then six days later they, uh, they've got Bradley and Giovinco and Josie coming back in Toronto. 
So, uh, what, what are you going to do? It is what it is. Here is Jacob Rosen with our last email on our winner for the night. Hello, Mark and Dan. Thanks for putting together a quality podcast week after week. I've been a loyal listener for years and look forward to hearing your take on all things Red Bull. I'm happy with the team's performance of late, but there are some things that concern me about the team and league moving forward. Uh, This is a little long. I'm going to read the second of the two. The first was Don's All-Star Game selections, which we've covered. Second, Felipe and Question. Although they've had their strong moments, I expected a little bit more from both of them. At their best, these guys should contribute to what should be the best midfield in the league. But there are also times where I think that either of the two could end up earning an untimely red card like our old friend Rafa Marquez and send our season into a downward spiral. Do you guys have any concern that Felipe, Sasha, or any other Red Bull could suffer a selfish red card at the wrong time because of poor judgment they've shown thus far? Thanks again, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts. Well, I mean, question's already done that. I was going to say, did the, the Vancouver game not happen? Uh, this was this was written this afternoon, so obviously there's a short memory right. going on here. Your thoughts? I mean, it's, it's possible for any player to get an errant red card and send things into a spiral. And I think Sasha's is, is probably the one of the worst I've seen at Red Bull Arena, only because it came so early in the match and it was for such a stupid reason. And, you know, it, that, that's, that's the kind of red card you don't want to see. Um, not that there's any kind of red card you want to see. Um, <laughs> so I think there's a general discipline thing that, that teams always need to manage. You want your players passionate and fired up and willing to fight for each other, but you don't want it to be stupid. And take the red card that uh, Jose Gonzalez got uh, Saturday night. Mm. He, you know, it was a second yellow. And in fairness, the second one was a little questionable, but the first one was for dissent. He, he lit up the referee and got a yellow card. Why? Why, why do you mouth off to the referee? It, it put, right. Especially as a defender, it puts you in a position where one stupid tackle or one, you know, embellished dive, and you're out of the match. And now Jose Gonsalves has to miss Jose Gonsalves' bobblehead night at uh, Gillette Stadium. That poor right. guy. So I, yep. I think it's a mental struggle for the players. You've got to keep, you know, your head right in these games. Um, they can be heated and they can be, you know, very, very physical. Uh, and I, I hope that the team can, can pull it together. Um, right now, shockingly enough, the team that's leading the league in red cards is Salt Lake, who I believe has yes. seven. And Orlando is tied for second with five with New England. So, um, mm. you know, if you don't have the discipline, the results won't go your way. And who is currently first in the league in red cards is Hamison Olave. Who has yep. two now with with yellow cards? It's a different story, and our our good friend Damien Parnell is tied for the league lead with eight. And I believe, Dan, you tell me that he is still on warning with his uh, next yellow yes. card. So he sure. already went through one. I think he went through good behavior once already. So yes. he is no longer eligible to have one chalked off later. Uh, so his next yellow card, he will be suspended for the following year. He should game. be. I'm just going to look at the disciplinary report very yeah, quickly. There. And yeah, yes, there. He, he has seven yellow cards and is no longer eligible for good behavior. Um, the other player who is also on uh, yellow card warning is Felipe, who is eligible for good behavior if he can go three, three more games without a yellow. So we'll see. Yeah. 
But a good question, uh, Jacob, and thank you so much for writing. You're our winner. I'll be in contact with you soon about your prize. So that's it. Big show. Thanks to Paul Tenorio. Uh, Dan says New York's going down 2-1 in the Citrus Bowl on Saturday night. Uh, I'm calling it a 2-2 draw, although I don't think either of us predicted what was what happened last time out against Orlando, uh, against New England, rather. So uh, really phenomenal. The U.S. men will also take on at 5 o'clock on Saturday in Baltimore against Cuba in the Gold Cup quarterfinals. The U.S. will be favored in this match although they have not played well. Uh, We'll probably not be back before the U.S. Open Cup match on Tuesday or the Chelsea match on Wednesday, but we will be back at the end of the week to wrap up everything and prep you for that big Benfica game in the ICC. For Dan Dickinson, I'm Mark Fishkin saying thanks so much for listening to Seeing Red. We'll be back next week, everyone. Good night. This has been Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com. Listen anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, and seeingredny.com.